Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Chat. I'm your host, Kaylee Edmondson, and on today's episode of the podcast, I actually sit down with Samuli to join him for an episode of his sales and marketing talk show. To date, when I did the interview with him, he had had 73 episodes published, I believe, on his podcast and hadn't yet covered the topic of demand gen. So we get into a little bit of everything, Uh, ways in which to determine successful acquisition channels, ways in which to determine success at all for a demand gen function, uh, when you should hire one, what it should look like a little bit of everything. So stick around to the end. At the end, he always has a segment where his previous guest asks his future guest um, a question that they want an answer to. So his previous guest was none other than Neil Patel. Uh, Super interesting. So I get asked a question from Neil Patel towards the end. Um, So yeah, without further ado, let's get into the episode. I think like... For many people, demand generation might be a little bit like new term. Like, what, what do you mean by that one? Uh, so before hopping into like details on what demand generation is, uh, I would let you tell us. So if you should give a like 60 second pitch about like what demand generation really is. What yeah, absolutely. Is no, that's great. So I think at the highest level, I think about demand gen in two waves of thought. Primarily being your main focus as a demand gen manager, marketer, director, whatever you are, is to capture the demand that exists in the space for the product that you are trying to sell um, or the pain point that you are trying to solve for. Secondary motion is to create demand for those who do not yet know who you are, what you do, what your purpose is, what pain point you solve, right? At its highest level, simplest form, that's what you're here to do. Um, And I think about it in those orders, right? So if your um, product, obviously you have hopefully built a product with some level of product market fit. So first and foremost, you should be going out there and capturing the demand that exists in the space today and making sure that that experience, once they hit your website and are ready to convert and buy is completely optimized. I think that's 60 seconds, so I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, that's 60 seconds. I, I think I, I should have some kind of like watch going or like every time yeah, I'm show, have, like, showing or, it. Or... <laughs> yeah, you should have a really intense like countdown timer that pops up on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I I must do it for the next guest or so. Great idea. Great <laughs> idea. <laughs> but I, I, I think like many, many people working in marketing or somewhere else, they are like super familiar with the term like lead generation. And mm-hmm. that, that is something that many, many companies are talking about. So what do you think, what, what is like the difference between uh, demand generation and lead generation? Yeah, so I think that lead generation is a tactic that traditionally makes up part of your overall demand gen strategy. Um, but like lead gen is also kind of touchy for me. I think that if you work for a company that in is in this game of lead gen or even like generating MQLs, marketing qualified leads, it's a really bad cycle to get stuck on, right? You get stuck on quantity versus quality. And I think that's part of this lead gen game is like, okay, say that we're a company, obviously reporting to some higher exec that says, hey, you have to generate 800 leads or 800 MQLs a month or whatever your number is. Then we as marketers, our goal is to just get to that number, regardless of if these people are the right people, are ready to buy, are a good fit, et cetera. So your focus shifts away from what it should be, which is ultimately driving revenue and pipeline, qualified pipeline for your business. Um, So lead gen is a little tough for me, but that's 
lead gen is, you know, driving, supposedly driving quality leads for your business. But I think that if you're working off of a lead gen strategy, you're losing sight of the larger picture, which should be demand gen as a whole. Yeah, yeah, great ideas. And I, I think actually like one thing that I come across like every now and then is we, we are like a growth marketing agency. And typically like companies are, are looking for growth. And like every now and then I get a question from like potential clients that is there a possibility that we wouldn't have like fixed fee, but it would be, for example, based on the amount of marketing qualified leads that we are bringing in for our clients. And I think there is the exact problem that you mentioned there. So if a CMO or agency is measured by only that one, it can bring like some, <laughs> some wrong decisions on the table. Exactly. Exactly. It's like same for if you're running, you know, a really great social advertising strategy and your only KPI that you're looking to is CPL. It's like, yeah. oh, that's great. It's great that you're generating more cost-effective leads, but like what is the quality of those leads? You need to make sure that you're looking further down into your CRM or however you're running your business to make sure that the people that you're actually reaching and the buyers or the personas that you're getting in front of and actually having take action based on whatever your funnel is are the right people and are like a good fit for your product. Even if there are additional levers that you can adjust for like enterprise versus mid market, like all of those things really aren't being considered in a lead gen strategy most often, or if you're like looking for leading indicators like CPL as your primary metric. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. agree. I think it would be so bizarre. I'm sure there are agencies <laughs> out there. I'm sure I'm saying this. I'm sure there are agencies <laughs> out there that do charge by that type of model. Um, but I think that if you are a marketer that is currently working or partnering with an agency that is charging on that kind of like retainer based model for um, essentially quantity over quality, you should stop, yeah. find someone else. Um, Cause there's <laughs> no way that they're actually doing great things for your business. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we can actually later talk a bit about like, what are the best ways to like basically measure your demand generation, whether it's like you are using or doing it by yourself or, to, of, of, or with someone else. Mm -hmm. But I think like the goal, goal for here today is to have some kind of like actionable tips for, for like marketers out there, like when listening to this one. But before hopping into those ones, can you open up a bit like, what, what is your background? How, what kind of things you have done in marketing and how, how are you now in Chili Piper doing demand generation? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me try and be brief about it. So when I first graduated college, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I started out going to school for business because I thought it was broad and generic. Uh, two semesters in, that was super boring. So I swapped to marketing because it sounded really interesting. Um, I was always quite creative. And so I thought it would be a good blend of you know science and art, so to say. And that is definitely marketing. At the time, I had no idea. Um, so I graduated, found a job in healthcare. It was a job. I was excited to have a job. <laughs> I didn't last long doing marketing for healthcare. It's really weird for me. Um, it was um, it was hard for me to market. You know, hey, when you're sick, come visit our hospital. Um, so, anyways, learned the roots. Like, figured out that I really had a passion for growth marketing, digital marketing, which is now considered demand gen. Um, and literally fell into this B2B tech world at a really, really small startup, 
based here in Nashville, Tennessee, and loved it. L fell in love with SaaS, fell in love with B2B, um, like never wanted to leave. And I've just kind of gotten in this track of running demand gen programs for B2B SaaS companies. So um, I've worked at a series of B2B SaaS companies, super small, larger, post-series B. Um, and yeah, now I'm at Chili Piper. Um, ironically enough, I stood up and championed buying Chili Piper for two of my previous B2B SaaS companies because we had this very same problem that Chili Piper solves for. Um, so when I found out that they were hiring for an in-house demand gen function, it seemed like a no-brainer. I obviously believed in the product. So um, yeah. as a marketer, that's like something that's really important for me is that obviously I need to believe whole wholeheartedly in what I am marketing um, since I didn't have that experience in my first gig in the healthcare world. So um, yeah, so now I'm here. I, um, I'm weird, I guess, in the fact that I have only ever done demand gen. I feel like most often I talk to people who have really diverse backgrounds in terms of their career path and kind of how they got, how they got into this function. I um, just kind of fell in love with it quick and then never left. Yeah. I interesting, interesting story. And I, I think that that's a great like great background for for this discussion and i think there's a lot of learnings from from your background to share share here but but before like talking about tactics of demand generation what what companies should should do i i think like one one thing that is important is like for companies to understand who is their ideal customer like and i i think you mentioned already there that for example in in chili piper you use to be a like client and like really understanding the value that product is bringing. For example, if if we think like your case uh, being a scheduling tool, I, I think there's like a lot of scheduling tools out there. So how do you go in in, in Chili Piper like understanding who are the ideal customer of yours like before moving to tactics or like thinking what should what should you be really doing? Yeah, absolutely. Before you ever start a demand gen strategy, launch any programs, any marketing at all, right? You probably are joining an organization that has some customers, right? A few customers. You've maybe you've sold to them yourself. Maybe you're like, you know, starting in a really, really small startup. Um, you have to have some kind of customers, right? That's the most powerful thing. Uh, go and talk to your customers. Talk to them often. Talk to them frequently. Figure out how they're using your product, how they'd like to use your product, um, ways in which they're really excelling, or maybe using your product in ways that you didn't even know were possible. Um, and hear it straight from straight from them, right? Word of mouth is like obviously the most powerful and like they are um, they are an extension of your team, especially in the early days, right? As you're kind of getting your feet wet and understanding the best ways to use your product or, you know, ways that they are using it that you haven't even thought of yet. Um, but that's the most powerful thing, right? So anytime I join an organization, it's like the first thing I normally do is go through case studies. Yeah. Most often I'm, I'm not joining a company. I might be the first marketer at a company, but I'm not the person who's selling the first deal. Um, yeah. So we have some deals, which means we almost always have some type of case study, some type of gong recording, a Zoom recording, whatever it is to go and listen to so that you can hear it directly from your customer's mouth, how they're using your product, what they love about it. And even sometimes like what they don't love about it. Right. What changes can you make? What product enhancements are like on the roadmap that they're most eager for? Um, I think that should be first and foremost, regardless of how big or small of a company you're joining. Um, and that will help you shape your ICP all day. Um, and in some cases, it might even help you extend your ICP. So like for us at Chili Piper, we've always primarily actually sold to demand gen marketers. Um, our primary product is something called concierge. Um, it helps you with 
your website conversion. So for that, yeah. like the primary person who's feeling that pain point is normally someone like you or I. Um, so that's been our like bread and butter for several years now. Um, however, talking to customers, understanding how they're using our product, we actually understand that sales is another primary persona of ours as well as customer success. Um, yeah. And it's like, we would have, you know, I'm sure we would have figured it out on our own, but it's like so much easier and faster and more accurate to figure it out directly from your customers. Um, so I think that's tactic one, right? Before you get into any, launching anything, creating anything, like talk to them, hear their words. Most often the words that they're using to describe your product are a little different than the words you think you would use. Um, yeah. But you're not trying to like speak to people like yourself. Most often you're trying to speak speak to people who talk and think just like them. Um, so it's best to use their words and their lingo. If there's nothing else we know in this world, it's that marketing has its own language. Customer success has its own language. We all love acronyms. We all use our own acronyms, right? It's so like understanding directly from them what's happening is the best way. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree on that one completely. And I think some great, great points there. And like w one thing that I, I noticed that like happens very often actually for people is the fact that if you ask from the company, like what is the problem that they are solving or how the clients are using their product? And then if you ask from the client itself, the answers actually might be might be totally different. So I, I think that's <laughs> that's something that is is quite interesting. And then one, mm -hmm. one thing that I, I personally love love to like have a discussion with clients, uh, even, even though I'm, I'm working in sales, but I, I still like really love that kind of information is the fact that uh, I would say like most of the companies, they they have like competition, whether you're uh, like B2B SaaS company, there is probably a lot of similar tools out there. Or if you mm -hmm. are a service business, there is for sure other service business doing exactly what you are doing. And then like one challenge that companies are having is really like how, how to differentiate from like the different companies. And then you are thinking that, hey, probably we are different from that tool because we have this and this and this feature. But then when you ask the client, hey, when you were buying from us, what were the alternatives and why did you choose us? Probably the reason will be <laughs> totally different as well. Exactly, too. And I think that like, yes, I think in this world, we will always be in a feature war to some degree, right? Your competitor can build your features. Like there's no way that what you've built is like top secret, unless maybe you're like going to Mars or something like that's another conversation. But um, in the tech world, like there will always be a competitor that can build your feature set. So it's always feature wars, right? And I think that's something like we'll never get away from. But what I'm learning more and more is like most important is really building a brand and a community that people feel attached to and feel empowered to be a part of. Um, and that's like what most often will, you know, resonate with your buyer. And, you know, even if, you know, your competitor has nine out of the 10 features that you have, if you have a more compelling brand, more compelling people behind that brand, um, an extension of, you know, their own team, right? So it's like any kind of software that we're using here, I reach out to their CSM and it's a great experience. That's super meaningful to me. Um, like if I go to a new gig and start a new place, if I've had a really meaningful experience with a service or a software based on their brand, their community, whatever it is that they've built and I feel attached to, they're the first people I'm going to call up when I'm at this new gig to buy their, to buy their software again or use their service again. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I really think like brand is a big part of demand generation as well. And for example, if I think like personally that I would be, for example, checking out some tool regarding, let's say, uh, for like scheduling the appointments. Now, now we are using HubSpot and we have everything there. But if I would look for something, there would be basically like Chili Piper and Calendly that I'm thinking of. And like I know those brands and I would probably <laughs> go go to two of those. So I, I think like brand is super big part. Mm-hmm. And for example, in 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 this case, like why, why we are even having this interview, I actually got an email from some of your sales rep mm-hmm. or or automated sales rep or whatever there was. And then, then I came across you and I, I like really enjoy the brand that you were building and like the, oh, the feeling you. and every, everything there. But actually from that one, it will be super interesting to learn since it's kind of case. So like what has happened in your end, like in your demand generation that I've got an email from you and your sales rep like what is happening there like how you are identifying the companies that you are sending those to i'm quite sure you are not doing everything like manually there or the emails you are probably not sending those one like manually either like how, how is that side working yeah 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 no so that's that's super interesting actually it's um probably not automated, whatever email you received. It's probably from a real person. Um, we have a really great, quite large sales organization here. Um, let me start, before I get into our sales org, let me start with like what makes us a little bit different um, in terms of yeah. how our actual business model works. Um, without giving a sales pitch, the way that we leverage our own product allows us to automatically qualify or disqualify inbound coming demo requests. And so for that reason, instead of following a traditional business model where we accept your form fill, we understand that you've raised your hand, you want to talk to a sales rep. Traditionally, that form fill would go to an SDR or BDR, whatever you're going to call them, somebody's calendar in order to help get on a call call with you, do a disco, whatever, then route you to an AE to actually get on that demo if you're actually qualified, right? But because we use Chili Piper, we do all of that on form submit and just route you directly to an AE's calendar. And so as a result, that allows our SDR organization's time to be freed up instead of qualifying inbound prospects, their time is completely filled with outbound prospecting efforts and building their own pipeline and their own funnel. Um, So as a result, you probably got an email from one of our um, team members on our SDR organization, not a bot, not an automation. They are full, fully outbound, which I think is super unique. I've never worked for a company actually um, that is designed this way. Almost every company I've worked for follows that traditional inbound qualification model. Um, yeah. So I think that's super unique. Um, and it allows us to reach, obviously, a lot more people with customization at scale than we would if they were sitting here taking 30-minute qualification calls all day long. Um, so the way that their outbound prospecting works, obviously we leverage tons of tools to figure out who's within our ICP, um, who's likely in buying mode, who's showing intense signals, um, obviously who's on our website already and knows about us, but hasn't yet committed to raising their hand and requesting a demo. They have tons of tiers and prioritization that they work within to figure out who they need to be reaching out to now versus who they need to reach out to once they're a little bit warmer or further down in their own like discovery process with who we are and what we do. Um, and that's what they're doing. They're outbound prospecting all day long. Yeah. And, and would you say that all of that, is it like 
under demand generation or do you think that it's separated from demand generation and it's more like sales? Mm. I think that's a touchy subject too. I think you're just here to ask the like controversial questions, which I'm so here for it. But um, <laughs> I, I think it depends on how your org is structured. Um, so for us, the SDR organization sits within our sales team. Uh, they don't yeah. roll up to marketing, although I know that you know it's like hit or miss, right? Half the time they live within marketing, half the time they don't. Um, and for us, it just works that like Chili Pepper was actually founded without a marketing team. Um, we have had a sales team the entire time we've been in business. Marketing is fairly new to the game. Um, and so because of that, sales has been its own organization for so long. We kind of added marketing as like a new initiative. So sale, like the SDR organization just rolls up to our sales org. So for us, yeah. I'm going to consider it outbound. But um, for other organizations, you know, that are rolling their SDR org or their BDR org underneath a marketing unit, they might say otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I interesting to hear. And I, I think there there is for sure like different kind of versions of that one. And you can do it basically both ways. Mm -hmm. But th then when we are like thinking about demand generation itself, like what are the like, would you say like typical tactics that you've been using now, now in your current role or then if we think your past, like what, what are the typical tactics yeah, that for companies sure. are, are, are using and probably should be using in, in demand gen as well? For sure. So I think that it goes back to this initial like 60 second overview that I said about what is demand gen. So some of these tactics around capturing the demand that already exists in the space. For me, obviously start with retargeting for whatever is left of retargeting after this post cookie world. Um, retargeting is obviously critical. If people already know your brand and are engaging with you, but aren't yet converting, those are definitely the hottest prospects that you should be getting in front of today. Um, and that's like the low hanging fruit, so to say. If you don't have any retargeting campaigns running, you should get some up. Um, if these people are coming to your site and engaging with an email list, if you have an email list, I would consider that part of capturing demand. You need to make sure that that is staying warm. Um, that does not mean create an automated drip nurture series. Um, I can give something actionable like that we do. Um, we actually don't have um, an email drip from a marketing perspective. We don't have an email nurture um, because I just don't believe that it works. Um, and I'm, I'm coming from my previous B2B SaaS company was an email service provider. So maybe that's a hot take. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I just don't think that drip nurtures work in marketing. Um, so that's my perspective there. But what we do from an email perspective is, you know, we ask, you know, if you'd like to be part of our um part of our newsletter list. And that is an extension of our own Chili Piper community. Um, the emails come from me. I send them once a month. It's basically anything yeah. and everything that I have personally learned that month. Um, anything cool that I've seen on any of the like, communities or forums that I've on that I think could be really helpful for anybody that's subscribed to our email list to consume um, that might help them with their day. Um, so it's not a sales pitch. We actually don't even put a demo CTA in there. It's just like, hey, here's some cool stuff that we consumed this month. Like, we hope it helps you. Um, and yeah. that's, that's our email strategy, but it's building a community and it's helping us build a brand. Um, we get obviously more engagement from those types of emails than we get from any of the traditional, like, here's what inbound lead conversion looks like. And here's how we can help you. Um, like those emails are, everybody's doing that. So it doesn't help you stand out in the crowd and it doesn't help you build a community that really cares about what you are doing. Um, and definitely seems very distant from connecting users to you as an individual versus you as a, as a company. Um, so Capturing demand, that's part of it. Um, with that, of course, comes any kind of website optimization that you can put in place. Obviously, making sure like your form 
your forms are as optimized as possible. Your website itself is very user-friendly and that customer experience, once they, once they get to your website is going to be the most ideal that you can possibly serve them. Um, so those are some yeah. of the like initial tactics that I think I would start with on capturing demand. Um, and then in terms of creating demand, like honestly for us, we're on Google um, for bottom of funnel, bottom of funnel um, search terms. So we're not bidding on terms like lead gen that's like super, super high level. And I just don't believe that there's any intent there. If people are Googling to figure out what lead gen is, they're not looking to buy your product. So you can come up organically, yeah. you can let them learn about you. But for us, it's bottom of funnel intent terms on Google and social. Social is huge. It's, um, it, it's essentially a, a guaranteed content distribution platform. And I think that's how people yeah. should be using it. Yeah, interesting couple of new questions came up oh, from, yeah. from that answer. <laughs> First of all, you you mentioned there that like companies should be doing retargeting. And mm -hmm. I, I think there are a lot of companies doing that one as well. But, but what do you think, like, what is the most efficient way on like doing retargeting? Like what kind of retargeting you should be doing? And for example, in your case, are you targeting people to a landing page where they, they can book a demo? Or are you targeting them to get for example some kind of blog post with value or with reference cases or, or like where you should be like getting those people from retargeting if they already like know your brand yeah i say i think that it definitely depends on your brand like your business itself what you're selling and where you sit within the space and especially who your buyer is um, obviously every buyer reacts differently to advertising so like if you're selling to engineers for example good luck they don't really respond very well to advertising. Um, but for us, we're primarily selling to marketers. And so I think uh, me personally as a marketer, and of course, anybody on our marketing team, um, like I engage often with advertising. I'm very intrigued by advertising. Obviously, it's what I do for a living. So um, I think it's just a different angle. But um, for us, like one of the tactics that we use for people who have specifically visited bottom of funnel pages. So it'd be a product page, a pricing page. Um, maybe they viewed the demo page, but haven't actually like followed through with a submission. All of those candidates go into yeah. a pool um, and we actually retarget them right now using LinkedIn conversation ads, which for us have been really successful. Um, the ask is to get a demo. Um, we're actually testing something new right now and I can keep you posted on the results on actually joining a demo with me um, because we're primarily targeting demand gen marketers. Um, and so obviously yeah. I look and think much like them and, you know, might serve a, a, a more unique experience once you get them on a call to just have a conversation, not necessarily a hard demo of our product, but just more so talk to them in a discovery manner to figure out what their pain points are, what they're trying to solve for right now. Um, and if it leads to an actual demo with an account executive, great. But if not, then that's really great research for us to have in our pocket as we continue to go to market and kind of tap into this ICP. Interesting. Uh, we, we are actually like trying something quite similar because like oh, yeah. in the past we've been trying trying to get people to like sign for a discovery call with the sales team, but now we are actually just testing on LinkedIn as well to have yeah. this kind of like growth marketing doctor kind of thing where people can book a 15 minute call with like our growth marketing strategist and it's really it's not a sales call mm -hmm. uh, but but it's really like for kind of for networking and like figuring out some ideas together and so on so i think it's like interesting strategy that like i think many companies are 
are going after that one because basically not that many people want to want to talk with sales. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like before, yeah, no, I think that's fair, right? People don't want to get on a sales call because then they they feel obligated, right? It's like they know that they're here, they have to look at your product, they're you know, and maybe they're ready to see your product, but they're really just not ready to get into a buying cycle. Um, and so I think yeah. providing your customers or your future customers with some additional avenues to get in front of you and have meaningful conversations is going to be really important, especially as um, the SaaS world isn't getting any less crowded. Um, so it's yeah. like we need to find ways to have meaningful conversations with prospects. That doesn't mean getting them on a demo with a, with an account executive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I agree on that that one for sure. When I was preparing for, for this discussion, I, I went through your LinkedIn wall and there, there was interesting post that mm. said, you know, I think big capital letters that lead scoring is broken. Uh, what, what, what do you mean, mean by that one? Like, like, what do you think? What, what is the like, way that companies are, are doing it wrong? And how do you think that companies should be approaching this one? Yeah, absolutely. So that was actually from an interesting conversation that I had with Hannah Jakover, who's the director of Demandion at Madkudu, which is obviously um, a lead scoring software. Uh, I'm sure they would probably describe it differently, but in layman's terms, it's a lead scoring software. And so I personally just think that lead scoring is broken. Um, the way that companies have set it up traditionally and probably are still sometimes setting it up today, um, you know, you get a spreadsheet, you figure out like, okay, here's a list of behaviors or actions or um, demographics or firmographics that make up this person, all of these activities get a random number assigned. Once somebody reaches this random number, we'll MQL them and pass them over to an SDR's calendar so that they can try and book a time with them. Um, my like hot take on that is what you're actually doing is wasting your sales team's time, um, giving them leads that aren't in buying mode to go and try and prospect to them and convince them to be in buying mode when instead your SDR organization should actually be reaching out to hot, hot prospects of their own people that are in their own, yeah. um, you know, tiering system or whatever um, in terms of prioritization, those are the people they should be focused on, not the people that you've arbitrarily MQL based on who you think they are uh, or the tech stack you think they have um, or because they've looked at, you know, a random pricing page um, that doesn't yet mean that they're actually ready to talk to a salesperson and it can actually be more harmful than helpful for your brand and for your business. Um, so we actually don't have lead scoring here. We like, we stood it up when I got here and then the more I saw it in action, we obviously created this feedback loop between us and our sales organization. And that's what we were hearing. Like, Hey, like, like this isn't like a sales versus marketing game, but like we're wasting our time. Like, this is not working for us. We're following up with these people. Sometimes these people, like, say they've never even heard of us, but, you know, they're in our database somehow. Like, what's going on? Um, and so we we're like, well, let's just stop. Like, stop wasting your time. Prioritize your efforts on other things that you've got going on. And let's see if that drives more revenue for the business. And it did. And it's still doing so. So we aren't leveraging lead scoring at all. Um, we'll look at intent signals through G2 um, and things of that nature. If we, you know, know that they're on, they've been on our website based on signals in HubSpot, of course, that's like what we'll leverage. But most often, yeah. those people are already um, within the tiering system for our SDR organization, so they're already being reached out to, and, and that just works for us. So I think that like putting people through this arbitrary motion of giving them a random number and passing them over as an MQL doesn't actually mean they're an MQL. Yeah. And I think that there was a great point there that like really 
the sales team should be focusing their time on the like right right cases for people who like really want to buy and actually like one, one thing that came came in mind from there regarding on like using content as uh, demand generation i i think there are still like many companies out there doing a lot of like <laughs> gated content for example having some mm. kind of ebook to download or so and then like the moment you are downloading the ebook there is a sales guy calling you Hey, I noticed that you downloaded the ebook and you, you want to buy our product. And I, I think that's a like great example of the fact that most of those people, they are not like ready to buy and probably sales organizations shouldn't be using time for those ones as well. Exactly. No, I totally agree. And on to your point around gated content, I, I like having gated t- content and, you know, being able to make that phone call quickly in 2008 was really impressive, right? Your prospect was like, oh my gosh, how do you know? How are you able to get to me so quickly? This is very, like, it was a very good experience. However, um, like most often, we have, marketers have like ruined that. We've ruined that for our prospects. We've ruined that experience. It's saturated. Um, Like we've been there, done that, and we've done it too much, too often, all of those things. Um, And so I just don't think that like gated content serves a purpose very much uh, like maybe hardly never um with the exception of webinars right like that's a transactional thing you need to register for it you need you know we need to get a confirmation email those types of things but um most often i think that people marketers really pride themselves on what they think is quality content but is actually not quality content um so there might be things i'd love to be proven wrong that we think are like worth gating um more often than not, I think that the the blog post you're writing, even the ebook that you're creating, is m- going to be so much more valuable if you just give it away. Give it away, share your brand equity, have people really understand what you as a brand or you as an individual are really passionate about um, and very knowledgeable about. That will better position you and your brand as a thought leader in the space and a trusted, authoritative voice instead of gating every single thing that you create and thinking that it's worth more than it really is. Yeah, I I agree on that one. And then, like, I think really, for example, in that kind of case, like the companies or the individuals who need help with that subject and you have brought mm-hmm. a lot of value for them, I think it's easy for them to reach out after that one to you. Like, hey, I need help with that one. And then you can use your, your time for those cases. Exactly. Agree. Yeah. But hey, then we earlier already discussed a bit about, like, the results and like measuring things. So what do you think? What is the best way to measure your demand generation success? Is it like the revenue? And I think revenue will come at some point, but probably if you haven't done so much things, I I think there might be a little road ahead before hitting that revenue. So what do you think? How should you be measuring that? For sure. And I think I jumped the gun on this a little bit earlier when I was talking about being um, being measured based off of MQL. So I think that the, you know, traditional like waterfall, model that everybody was, you know, building their business around five, 10 years ago, and maybe even today had marketers being piped uh, for success based off of MQL volume. Um, And I just think that that is extremely broken for all the reasons we've already talked about today. Um, Obviously, most often people are generating MQLs through um, gated content. And if we're saying that like gated content is not something that should be part of your marketing strategy, um, then your MQL volume is naturally going to reduce dramatically as it should um, because all of that was just like false inflation anyways. But 
for us, we are measured, we measure our success based off of qualified pipeline, not just pipeline, qualified pipeline. So it means like the meeting has already happened with the account executive. They are actually in buying mode. They are actually ready to buy. So for us, we call it a qualified held meeting. We're a meetings company. So almost all of our internal terminology is based around the word meetings. Um, yeah. However, for most other organizations, this would be considered an SQL, uh, sales qualified lead. Um, it just means that the meeting, the demo has already happened with the account executive. And this person is actually a great fit, um, a viable prospect for our solution and are in buying mode. So that's what we're piped off of. That's what we measure our own success off of here at Chili Piper. Um, and I think it's what other demand gen marketers should be measuring their success off of too. It's a great um, leading indicator in terms of, uh, you know, you, you're on your way to get to revenue, which is of course your ultimate goal um, is yeah. to really be aligned with the sales team. Their goal is revenue. Yours should be too. Um, it helps break that cycle of um, misalignment between sales and marketing. And I think that's like the thing. And that's why marketing and sales have, you know, historically not been well aligned because yeah. the KPIs aren't the same. Um, so you have, before you can start doing all of these other cool things in your marketing strategy, you should really make sure that your sale or your sales team and your marketing team are working towards the same goal, which should be revenue. Um, but your leading indicator should be qualified health meetings, whatever you want to call it, SQLs, qualified pipeline. Um, and then of course too, it's like, I'm not saying that we don't as an organization look at other metrics, like, you know, top level metrics for us, it's like, yes, it's important to make sure that our ads are reaching the right people at the right time. It's important to understand the cost in which we're getting in front of these people. Is it cost effective? Are, are there ways for us to better operationalize our advertising or our inbound strategy as a whole? Um, of course, all of those things are super important. So I'm not saying, you know, don't look at them. Don't, you know, understand the trends and figure out, you know, what's changing or, or what's, you know, what's performing worse this month than last month, all of those things definitely should still be in your wheelhouse and you should still be looking at them frequently, but that shouldn't be your ultimate North star. Your North star needs to be part pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. And I, I think uh, that is like one challenge that many companies are having, having the like mm -hmm. wrong, wrong things that they are measuring, for example, them like marketing qualified lead, as we talked earlier, I think if, if you are right now there, I think you should be changing that to something else for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, that it's like important for you. So say that you're, you're a demand gen marketer and you're reporting to someone who is telling you that your goal is an MQL, right? That's your, that's your North star. You need to be generating MQLs. You should challenge them, ask them why. Why is it an MQL? Why can't we more deeper ingrain ourselves and our efforts in with the sales team and work with your leader to figure out, you know, how we can make those changes so that you can free up your time to instead of focusing on, you know, filling the funnel with junk leads, this allows you to fill up your days to be more creative and do some, you know, really impactful campaigns that are maybe a little bit out of the box because they're less measurable or, um, you know, less directly tied to generating leads. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But hey, then lastly, I have this tradition that I, I have a question for my previous guest to you, and then oh. you have the chance to ask a question to my next guest. And on my last episode, I had Neil Patel joining me. And Neil's question to you is that what demand generation tactics provide the quickest result with spending the least amount of money? Oh, what a great question. I mean, okay, wow, Neil Patel, no pressure. Um, what tactic provides the quickest results with spending the least amount of money? 
Technically, okay, let me try and go off script a little bit. I could answer I could answer very traditionally and say, oh, we do Facebook ads and Facebook's are, Facebook ads are very cost effective, blah, blah, blah. All of those things are true. Yes, do those things. If you're able to target on Facebook, yes, you should be doing that. However, technically this was free. So I'm going to say this was the least amount of money. Um, what we've actually started doing is building a pre-pipeline before we do a product launch. Um, so we are starting to do pre-product launches in which we generate an email list that's curated with people who are raising their hand and showing intent, buying intent for a product that we're releasing into the world. And the day of launch, you know, send out a huge launch email, letting people know that it's happening. We did this for the first time back in March um, and generated immediate revenue in month, technically for free, right? It's an email list. It's something that you own. You probably have a marketing automation platform in your suite. If not, MailChimp is free under like 2000 subscribers. So go get yourself a MailChimp account um, and start doing pre-product launches, right? It's really great for so many fronts, right? Product marketing can get um, some level of like pre-discovery of who these people are, help you understand your ICP, understand what they care about, which messaging is resonating with them, et cetera. But then also these people have come to you and raised their hand and said, hey, we want to buy this product. So then the day it's ready for launch, great. There's all of those people you know, are in a nice little list for you. You can send out an email, relatively low lift, incredible impact for us as a, as a team. We're able to get a lot of really direct insights on what's going to work as we take this product for a full launch and market. Um, yeah. And I think it's like something that companies should really move forward to more. It's like a, a pre-product launch. I think, uh, you know, Google it if you want to do some research on how other companies are doing it, but we just started doing it in March and have seen a lot of success. So um, I think that's going to be my answer for that. That's a great question. Yeah, and great, great answer and interesting. I, I, I was thinking that it might be something different. So I, I think it was kind of outside of the box answer as well. So <laughs> it was great. Yeah, yeah. I want to try and mix it up a little bit. Yeah, that's good. That's good. But hey, then lastly, your question to my next guest. And we, we kind of have this, hmm, I would say, interesting moment here since typically and actually like always before this one, I have had the next guest in calendar, but before this episode, actually, the next guest <laughs> canceled the <laughs> podcast, so we don't know who the next guest will be. But I think oh. that this will actually make this kind of fun because you have the chance to ask a question from someone we don't know yet. But I, I will make it a little bit easier for you. Uh, it will be someone that we will be discussing something related to sales or marketing so <laughs> is that easier <laughs> i feel like that's so broad um here's something that i think is a hard-hitting question that i am always very interested for people people that are willing to just like be honest and vulnerable about i know it's like really really hard to come on a podcast and like spill your secrets or um you know share your share your mistakes or your you know your faults but um for me i'm always interested in understanding um what their biggest public mistake is so like um marketers everything you do is very very public which is really great and rewarding from one aspect but can also be really like detrimental to yourself or your brand um, on another aspect. So for instance, um, this is coming off of obviously that HBO email going viral a few days ago. So for anybody that's listening that maybe doesn't know, um, there was 
supposedly legitimately an intern working at HBO that sent out an email to their entire prospect list, which I can only imagine is hundreds of thousands <laughs> of people. Um, that was like a template. So you open it up and it's just like one line that's like this email is to be used for tests or whatever it said. Um, and within minutes, HBO was trending on Twitter. So it actually turned out to be pretty great for their brand. Like HBO, you know, came out and made a tweet about it. It kind of made it comical. Like we're working with them to like resolve their challenges, like all of these things. But can you imagine being that intern? Um, and so anyways, I know that I've had several moments like that in my life. I've definitely sent go on an email, like without any links in it, without like properly QAing it. Like I know I've done that, but I just always love to hear other marketers or even salespeople's um, mistakes and, you know, and their learnings from it. I think it's, um, it just makes us feel a little bit more human. Like we all mess up. So like, let's just like live in it and, you know, be honest about like, Hey, I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great question, and I hope we will get some great story from from the person who is joining on the next episode. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. As always, if you enjoy this content, please be sure to leave us a review. It really does help us continue to bring great content like this your way. Also, huge thank you to Samili for asking me to join an episode of his podcast. Again, his podcast is the Sales and Marketing Talk Show. Follow along on LinkedIn. He interviews some really, really, really great guests, um, covers a lot of interesting topics, everything from marketing to sales and anything in between, uh, the relationship or working relationship there between the two departments, very interesting content and always has really lively guests. So go follow him on LinkedIn. We will um, put a link to his profile in the show notes. And thank you again for listening to today's episode. We'll see you next time.